Good morning. Those don't know, my name is Blake Holloman, and I just want to give the praise band a round of applause, man. They were awesome. I think I'm making a new rule. They can't sing that bridge of the song before I come up to speak no more, because it gets me every time. But anyway, so glad to be here today. For those who don't know, my name is Blake Holloman. I'm uh, the husband of Jenny and the father of uh, Daniel and Madison. And um, I was, if you asked me if I would be up here today, a couple months ago, I would probably say you're crazy. It's not going to happen. Uh, but I was asked to come up and it was started out kind of a, a, a question. Hey, do you want to do something? I was like, no, that's not going to work. And then the Lord started working. And we're going to talk about how the Lord works today. The Lord worked in my life today and, and got me here. And having that opportunity to come today and speak to you today is very important. And I wanted to discuss kind of my journey, my testimony, and have a lesson to go along with it. So... Uh, with that being said, I do want to ask a question. Are you making the most of every opportunity? That was the main question to go along with what today starts with. So it was part of my journey here, part of my career. Um, I currently serve as the assistant fire marshal for the city of Wilson. I've been in the fire service for about 20 years, and I had the opportunity to participate and assist in 9-11 at the World Trade Center. Great opportunity. This is one of those opportunities of chance in a lifetime that you really don't want to miss out. And I can tell you that as I started preparing this and you start doing stuff and you start preparing for uh, serving the Lord, guess who's always working? You know, as you're praising the Lord, Satan's always working. And I want to make sure you're aware that we need to prepare ourselves for this particular opportunity and not let these opportunities pass us by. So um, those that may know... uh, Satan work, Satan's been working for the past month for me, uh, and has been trying to drive him, drive me, keep pushing me, keep pushing me, keep putting obstacles my way. Uh, Josh and Mike have been great working with me and trying to make sure, hey, I can do this. Can you do this? Can we, we got a backup plan. I keep just saying, no, I'm going to still do it. I'll still do it. So uh, we've had a lot of stuff going on. Uh, as you may know, Jenny's, uh, my wife Jenny's in the hospital. Uh, we've had to work with... Uh, Madison and Daniel's birthday, and uh, so it's been a challenge, but I finally took a stand and said, you know what, Josh, Mike, no, it's not going to happen. Not today, Satan. You're not going to win today. So that, that was pretty much what, uh, what I had to drive through and push through. So. But anyway, <clears throat> are you making the most of every, every opportunity? So my, my term at September 11th, we came there after the, the collapse and worked on the pile known as Ground Zero for a couple of days. And basically our job was a crew that was with us, had me and four other folks with me from right here from t- in town from Wilson, and our job was to pick up the firefighters' equipment. Now keep in mind, after the collapse, there was a lot of devastation, a lot of disaster. Fire trucks were on fire, um, ambulances were crushed, vehicles were crushed, body parts were laying all over the ground. And, and I, I tell you, this not to scare you or haunt you, but this is real. But uh, our job was to pick up equipment and get it back to the firehouses. This equipment was used as, as these crews were cl- climbing up the towers. <clears throat> so we saw pieces of equipment that we work with every day that are hard and steel, that are unbreakable, just torn all to pieces. And our job was to get it back to the firehouses so they could reclaim it. And so that was a very, um, very vivid inf- uh, image that I kept seeing over and over again. So experience, I wouldn't t- change anything for it. But 
So I don't know if you like history or not, but I'm going to give you a little quick history lesson about September 11th because I'm, I'm very passionate about it. I, I, this motivates me to learn more about what's going on and be able to, to use that to serve other, and tell other people about my story. So, so Tuesday morning, September 11th, 8.45, American Airlines Flight 11 had 81 passengers, 11 crew members. It came and struck the North Tower of the World Trade Center. Sitter. Totally out of, out, of, out of the ordinary. Everybody had planned their day. Circumstances were uh, normal. Business as normal. So people had un- unforeseen circumstances that made them miss flights. They either woke up late. They either got their time schedule wrong. They either got sick, called out of work. So these circumstances played a part in these people's lives. Also, uh, 17 minutes later, United Airlines Flight 117. 56 passengers and nine crew members struck the South Tower. That's when they know that they were under attack. Okay, so uh, the FDNY, Fire Department of New York, they were uh, first on the scene, and they were able to uh, start rescuing people. American Airlines Flight 77 also was hijacked. 58 passengers and six crews struck the Pentagon. So at this point, they know that there's planes being diverted, uh, Four, possibly four planes that were not being responded back to the FAA. So they're trying to scramble up fighter jets to uh, finish, find this other plane. Um, at the end of the day, at, at a couple hours later, about an hour later, uh, United Airlines Flight 93, excuse me, 93, with 37 passengers and crew uh, crashed into a field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. And we're going to talk about that particular flight because this one had a specific target. They come to find out that was, target was the Capitol building. But we'll talk about what happened on that flight in a few, few minutes. But I want to kind of give you a, a brief synopsis of what's going on. So we had floor planes that were, that were under, under siege there under, and, and uh, were being taken over by a group of terrorists. And they had targets to destroy America and make an impact on America. Now, like I was telling you, all these circumstances are played a part. All, everybody was affected by this. They had a role. They had circumstances that helped them make decisions. And out of that, there was come a whole lot of stories of heroism, uh, bravery, courage, but more importantly, hope. And these people in, the, in that disaster, a lot of them still had a heart for Jesus and they still served God. And you're going to see how that played out, how people made a difference that day. And we'll talk about that. So I got a brief video we'll watch about 9-11. I'm on the 81st floor in the South Tower. What I saw was a tiny little speck of a plane. It's getting larger and larger and larger. that were on fire. I had burns on 60% of my body. But I was alive. Many people ask me, 
what was it like that day? There were signs of devastation everywhere. Still around, guys, still around. But there were also signs of hope. Those little moments of caring for another were the difference between life and death. You would end every transmission by saying, I'm coming for you, brother. I'm coming for you. This is your mother. This is your father. This is your human being. I felt compelled to respond. He said, Mom, I just want to tell you I love you. That's how you want people to remember you. If we die, we die with them. Nobody's leaving you. I'm going to live. So keep in mind, the World Trade Center was two towers, 110 stories tall. Planes struck around anywhere between the 80 and 90th floor of both buildings. <clears throat> Major devastation that day. Uh, so backing up to flight 93, I'll tell you about a story. Uh, one of the stories picked in that video was uh, a call that received from Tom Burnett. Uh, Tom Burnett received a call from his wife about the plane, and he let him know, hey, we got problems going on. Planes are being hijacked. Uh, passengers Tom Burnett, Mark Bingham, Jeremy Glick, and Todd Beamer planned to take over the cockpit against these terrorists. They made a choice. Um, and Mark Bingham's story, his, his uh, mother was the one that was on the video just before and was talking about how you know, he called and talked to her and said, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. We, we, they think they got a bomb up here, and I just want to tell you that I love you. And so major moving situation there. So, um, <clears throat> but they knew they had to do something. They were not going to let this happen. Uh, so the, the four guys got together, and they decided to storm the cockpit. And the last voice recording from them after they called their families to let them know they said their last goodbyes was uh, Todd Beamer uh, stating, are you ready? Okay, let's roll. And that's been like their moving thing at this point. That was their rally to do something. Let's roll. Um, so that was their last thing after he rallied the troops together to do something. And they took over the cockpit, and the plane crashed somewhere outside of Shanksville, Pennsylvania. <clears throat> I'm going to talk about Captain Jay Jonas of the FDNY Ladder 6. He was also on the video. Uh, Captain Jonas had a team crew members of about five or six members of firefighters that were there that day. He was in the North Tower. Uh, what happened with Jonas and his crew was he got together and formed in the North Tower lobby at the, what they called a command post. He sat down and got a game plan together and they got everybody together and they talked about their plan. They planned what they were going to do. It was not a routine call. Uh, a lot of them said, I may not see you again, but uh, we're going to go do the best we can. We'll do our, what we do. Fist bump, shook hands. And out of that group, many of, his, many of his co-workers, his officers, they didn't make it back. They, on that day, the collapse of the towers, they lost 343 firefighters that day. <clears throat> Captain Jonas and his crew made it up to about the 27th floor and when the South Tower collapsed. Keep in mind, the South Tower was the last one that got hit. The first, the first tower that got hit was the North Tower. So during that time period, as soon as he heard the collapse and the violent rumbling of the building, he knew that Collapse was intimate. They were in an intimate danger, and they needed to get out. So imagine crawling up stairs, 27 flights of stairs, and they decide to turn around and go back. <clears throat> During that transit down back to the, uh, the first floor lobby to get out of the building, 
around the 20th floor, they met up with a lady named Miss Josephine Harris. Miss Josephine Harris was a 59-year-old lady that was uh, working in the Trade Center Towers and the North Tower. And during her descent down from about the 70th floor, she stumbled and turned her ankle and had a leg injury and couldn't go forward. She was crying on the steps. Captain Jonas's firefighters you know, got together and they said, we can't leave her behind. We need, to make, we need to help her out. And she, despite her pleas, just go ahead and just leave me. Just leave me. You, you, I'll, I'll make it down. They stopped. They said, we got to do something. They helped and, and ca- literally carried Miss Josephine Harris down to about the third floor. About the third floor, fourth floor area. That's when the North Trade Center collapsed. <clears throat> Captain uh, Jay Jonas, one of his last things he told me is, please just make it quick. Please, God, just make it quick. And he knew that that's what was going to happen. So the circumstances that revolved around that particular situation was in the stairwell, there was probably about a floor and a half area that when the, when the collapse stopped, they opened their eyes and they were alive. Thirteen people in that stairway, along with every one of Captain Jonas's crew and a couple other firefighters and Miss Josephine Harris survived without a scratch on them. Crazy. I'm going to tell you about another gentleman. Uh, Father Michael Judge, he was the chaplain of the uh, FDNY. <clears throat> this picture here in the middle shows him walking through the trade center lobby, and he had a stare on his face of despair, of, uh, of, of anger, of this is bad, this is, this is, this is not good, it's not going to end well. Um, he's remembered by walking through the trade center not saying a word, but his lips were moving. And stories have told that he was giving his last prayers to people that were dying in the lobby. <clears throat> he was remembered for praying. So he was also among one of the 343 firefighters that died in the collapse. And as you see, they're carrying uh, Father Judge out uh, in a chair after the collapse. I tell you this to kind of, as I'm starting going through and looking through this, is that Things get put in our way. We get unforeseen circumstances. We get uh, times where we're challenged, where you might think, why am I being put through this? Why is this person telling me this? Why is this going on with me? What's happening? What's God trying to tell me? And I'm telling you, he's putting things in your life, whether it be inconveniences, it's part of his plan. And we have to prepare ourselves. As Jenny and I were, were studying this, and um, we came upon this verse here, Psalms 5.3. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. So what's this telling us about our work for Jesus? And I feel like it's very important for us to know that in order to live uh, live your faith out every day in life, you must start your day out with God. Whatever it is, whatever simple thing that you can do, whether it be a ride to school, whether it be in the shower, whether it be getting dressed, whether it be taking a couple minutes before you walk out the door or go into that meeting, take whatever time you have and spend it with God. It's a challenge. It's a challenge for me. It's a challenge for everyone. I understand that. But as we get to this point, we need to make sure that we take time to spend with God. It preps us. It keeps us equipped. It helps us to expect when people come in our path, how to respond. 
How do we prepare ourselves to get to that point? You truly have to want, uh, want to get to know him and what he wants for you <clears throat> to do on that day. Looking at his plan and understanding that, you know what, as crazy as it sounds, I trust your plan. I didn't get this job because you had a better plan. I didn't get this position on the team because you had a better plan. I did not get the chance to do what I wanted to do because you had a better plan. Take that time to prepare yourself for that. So how do we apply this? I feel the best way we need to do is equip ourselves for battle. Just like gear that the firefighters wear. They prepare themselves for battle. They're going against the evil fire or whatever the case may be and trying to resolve any kind of emergency that they encounter. They have all this protective gear, that's 100 pounds of gear that they're wearing everywhere they go. They're preparing themselves for battle. Excuse me. <clears throat> so how do we make that work? So what is, how do we prepare ourselves? We do that by spending time with God, whether it be reading our Bible, praying, going to these life groups and D groups, getting with accountability partners, helping to make sure that we stay on the straight and narrow, that we stay focused. Spending time with God daily to keep you focused for living. I can tell you, as we keep doing this, we're going to lose our focus. We don't want to lose our focus. We want to make sure we stay focused for him because guess what? As we start doing this, you're going to notice life change. At the same time, you're going to notice Satan working as well. Prepare yourself when obstacles come your way. And I put when because guess what? They're coming. They're coming out there for you. <clears throat> Make sure that you're ready for them. Build your testimony and be courageous to share with others. That's a tough one for me. As you can see right now, I'm, I'm stumbling through it, but it's making it work. Take your testimony. Take your experiences and tell somebody else. I guarantee you it'll make an impact on somebody else. Somebody else may have an impact on you as well. Okay, Make that time to, to, to share your story with other people and be ready. I, I, like, I like the comment, when the, the expression, when people walk by you and they say, hey, how you doing? And you say, fine. And you ask them how they're doing. And then they unload on you unexpectedly with all their problems. And you're like, wow. I was just expecting a simple, I'm fine, and keep on passing. I wasn't expecting that. This is the reason why. Expect that. Because you might be that person that they need to talk to. You might be that person that they need to reach out to and just hug or pull them aside and say, you know what, I'm going to pray for you real quick, and we need to get together and talk. Go grab a cup of coffee, do something. This is that time that you need to be ready to go. Our, verse, uh, our message starts with the same story uh, in Acts 8, 1 through 8. And we'll talk about Philip. <clears throat> so, verse 1, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged both men and women and put them in prison. Those had been scattered and preached, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he, he performed, they paid close attention to what he had said. For the, shri the shrieks, shrieks and impure spirits came out of many, and many were paralyzed or lame that were healed. So there was a great joy in the city. So what is that telling us? What's going on? Let's get you caught up. So the church 
at that point in Jerusalem was being greatly persecuted. They were getting tore apart. People were getting thrown in prison. It was bad. The, church, the, the town was, the area was falling apart. So even in that moment, those people that were affected by the church scattered. But they still not forgot, did not forget to tell others about Jesus and proclaim the gospel. Even Philip went on his way and started proclaiming the gospel and telling others about Jesus. You know, saving people, working, their, working miracles and still doing things. <clears throat> so followers of Christ were enjoying the success of the city and being saved and baptized. And they were truly experiencing life change. If everything is going good at that point and we're making a turn, why would we want to leave that? Why would we want to give that up and do something different? The answer is truly, we really, really wouldn't. But, as once again, we are faced with challenges, we're faced with God's plan. So we'll move on to 26. Now the angel of the Lord appeared to Philip. Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out on his way and met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandak, which is the queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home was sitting in a chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stand near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. So break it down a little bit. You know, we got Isaiah, he's going into a desert with nothing. He's leaving a city behind that he has built back up and had a part in it. And he has done his duty to tell others about Jesus but he followed God's plan, left that, and went to the desert where there was nothing. Come up in a city in Samaria, and on the way there saw a chariot. And then he was led to go stand by it. Just that instinct to do something. We saw the, saw the eunuch reading Isaiah, the prophet. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the unit was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For this, is the life, was, for this life was taken from earth. The unit asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture. And told him the good news about Jesus. So Philip, he took it, he answered God's calling, he answered the Spirit's intuition or message to go uh, be by the chariot and just sat there and waited. And then he had the opportunity to ask the eunuch what was going on. Did he understand what he was reading? And he was able to sit down and break it down for him. And then he was able to tell the eunuch about God. Amazing story there. As they traveled along the road, they came upon some water. The eunuch said, look, here's some water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? He gave the orders to stop the chariot, and both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. When he came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Azotus, and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Here we are at a point where 
Philip decides to baptize the eunuch, take that time. And he is so excited about what he's learned. He wants to make an outward profession of faith to be baptized as soon as he could. And he just did not take the time to wait. He didn't want to wait. He found the first body of water that he could find to get baptized. He was so excited. Then it was, the change was, was when he came up out of water, Philip was gone. But that didn't stop him. He kept going on and telling others about Jesus. Philip moved on and kept telling others about, about Jesus. So what they did was they multiplied. And that's what we're doing. We're making disciples. We're multiplying. They're doing, doing what they need to do. Now what? So how do we apply that today? All right? What does that mean to us? In order to live out our faith, we have to seize the opportunities that God has given us for everyday life. Okay, these guys saw opportunity. They didn't know what was in front of them. But they chose to accept the challenge and do what they could to save lives that day. Same thing with Philip. They chose to scatter and save lives. In the middle of a disaster in that city, they chose to scatter and tell others about Jesus. So as we go through our normal life, that's what we need to look at forward and doing. <clears throat> Back down. To so I'm going to start by telling you a story about John. He's a, a firefighter for Engine 10. I'm sorry I jumped to the video there. But this is what happened. He was, on, he was uh, on Engine 10 that day, and he made it out of the Trade Center. Engine 10 is one of the closest fire departments to the Trade Center. His brother was also on the fire department. He couldn't find his brother. He'd spent a mission trying to find his brother, and this is his story. Back down toward the Trade Center. I'm working. I can see my firehouse in the distance. On the other side of me, I see a fire hydrant on West Street, and there's just a little bit of water trickling out of the fire hydrant. All the water lines have been severed when the Trade Center's collapsed. It ruptured all the water lines, the water mains in the street. But this one hydrant has a little bit of water trickling out of it. And I'm so hot, and I got a cotton mouth, and I'm, I'm just dehydrated. So let me just go get some water. And I kneel down on the floor. I'm drinking water. And I look up, and my brother comes walking towards the hydrant to get water. I'm like, how is it that you survived this? Says, how did you survive? You're right here. How did you make it out of there? That's a thousand reasons why I should be gone. Only one way I'm alive. God protected me. Put his hands around me. The building collapsed. He spared me from injury told me that I have to come and find you, and here we are, we're together. We grabbed each other, we hugged, we said we're not going to leave each other's side for the rest of the day, but we'll stay down here to do whatever we can. We're so relieved that he was alive, but at the same time so upset that so many other brothers and fathers weren't going to have that reunion. They weren't going to have what I had. Pretty powerful, huh? So the challenge begins right now. What, what is our mission field? Believe it or not, whether we know it or not, our mission field is right here. Our mission field is in this room. Our mission field is outside these walls, off this campus, in this city. We need to challenge ourselves and prepare ourselves to go forward. A couple weeks ago, I was sitting in, in church, and Rusty made a comment, and he just drove it home for me. It, it said, he made a comment, he said, if all you do is come here to sit, you're missing it. I'll say it again. If all you do is come here to sit, you're missing it. And th that little statement moved me to a point where I was like, I, I, can't, I can't let this go. i got to do something. 
So that was something that made an impact on me. We carry ourselves uh, the label of a Christian to make disciples. And we need to understand that God has a calling for our life. So something simple as a phrase or saying at the end of corporate worship, you are sent, go make disciples. It ties it all together. It ties it all together. It's so important that we make sure that we're able to go forward and make disciples. My question to you guys is, are you ready? What's it going to take to get you ready? What is it going to take to help you go over that step, to get you out of your comfort zone, to make you make a difference in someone else's life? Every day around, there are people that are around you that are, the worlds are on fire and falling apart. That's basically what's going on. Every day around you, someone needs some help. They're either on fire, the world's falling apart, they got things going on in their life. I get it. Take that time to be their light. Okay? What if God is calling you to be their light of hope? That's the question that we need to answer. So how are we going to do that? And are we ready? I'll close this in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for these people in this auditorium today. We thank you for this opportunity. Lord, we ask that you would just continue to work in these, the youth's life, Lord, in everyone's life. We pray that you'll just help them to take away something from today, whatever it may be, to go out and help others. Accept the challenge, Lord, to be a light for you and to go out and spread their testimony among others. Lord, we understand it's not going to be easy, Lord, and I ask for your courage for them. I ask you to give them courage, give them strength, and give them the, the opportunities. We know the opportunities are going to exist, and they're going to come present for them. We pray, Lord, that you'll help them to be cognizant of those opportunities and help them to understand that this is the sign that you're giving me, and I need to do something. I need to act on it. We ask, Lord, that you'll take that time to get them motivated and equip themselves for that battle, Lord, that opportunity. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you're doing this, that you'll build up a hedge of protection around them, keep them safe. We know that, that Satan is going to work as, as hard as you are working in their lives as well, so we know need their safety as well. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'll help them remain focused amongst all the distractions going on in the world today, that you'll help them to Stay focused on learning more about you. Give them a fire, light a fire under them to learn more about you and help them to reach out to those that are there to help them be accountable and help them to motivate them to stay on the right path, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would keep them safe, keep them healthy. Lord, I also ask that you would pray for our country, Lord, that you would just keep it safe and Move in the direction that we need it to go, Lord. I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to go and tell others about you, Lord. And I ask in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.